Welcome to Direct Impact, where we discuss the various ways our mental health and quality of life intersect. I'm your host, Andrea Epstein, licensed professional counselor, master's addictions counselor, and certified sex therapist. Think of our time together as focused self-reflection mixed with insight, passion, and empowerment. Now, take a deep breath. Now let's dive in and see what impacts you today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Andrea Epteen with the Direct Impact Podcast. So grateful to be with our listeners again today. We've got a great episode in store for you. Today, we have an interview with Mika Kramer. She is a licensed professional counselor and a certified eating disorder specialist and a SEEDS supervisor in Savannah, Georgia. And we are so grateful to be with her today. Welcome, Mika. Ah, Thank you, Andrea. (laughs) I'm so glad to be here. This is my first time being on a podcast podcast ever so yeah well we are gonna make it painless (laughs) and so much fun so you're gonna want to go on podcasts (laughs) all the time (laughs) only if I get to bring you with me Uh, well I'm getting to where I like really love it good good, I don't know how I'd be interviewed but I love interviewing people and (laughs) it's fun especially people that I know and love it's just fun it's fun yeah we've known each other for a long time how long do you think we've known each other oh my gosh Maybe since 2013, 13, yeah. yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been it's a while. It's been a while. Yeah. So we are going to be talking about all things eating disorders and disordered mm-hmm. eating today. So if this is something that resonates with you, um, if you are somebody who is confused or conflicted or questioning the, your relationship with food, or if you know somebody else in your life, a loved one who's in the throes of eating disorders, um, please you know, listen up, share this episode, and maybe turn up the volume a tad. So Mika, first question. First question is, Mm -hmm. what are eating disorders? And what's the difference between eating disorder and disordered eating? Wow, great question. Great question. So eating disorders are going to be actual diagnoses that are going to be found in DSM, which for us as counselors or clinicians, that's our manual to look at to see what are classified as a disorder. And Mm -hmm. so for someone with mental health. So eating disorders, there are going to be a certain criteria that someone would have to meet in order for us to say clearly they have this eating disorder. The list of eating disorders that are probably most common heard is anorexia, bulimia, and then binge eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there are others that are there um, within that manual as well. So ARFID Mm -hmm. is one. Mm -hmm. And we're going to go through some of these a little bit later, I think. Yeah. And just just real quick for our audience that might not be in the realm of psychotherapy or psychology, the Mm -hmm. DSM is the Diagnostical Statistical Manual of Mental Illness or Mental Disorders. And so that's what your psychotherapist is going to refer to in order to better categorize symptoms and certain characteristics and behaviors that you might be exhibiting, right? Correct. And I'm so glad you broke down the word DS. all these acronyms forget what they stand for yes so right now we um, are using the diagnostic statistical manual Mm. the fifth edition and and you mentioned um, in the DSM there's anorexia bulimia binge eating disorder Mm -hmm. and ARFID and Mm -hmm. ARFID stands for avoidant reactive food intake Mm -hmm. disorder yeah Yep, yep. And these will come with specific criteria and Mm -hmm. that they have to be met. So, for example, with anorexia, 
it, we wouldn't just be looking for someone that's going to meet the criteria for restricting food. We're also going to be looking for restricting food plus having a significant weight loss. Okay. And so, and we're also going to be looking for them to meet a criteria for having some sort of body image uh, distortion as well. And for many of the eating disorders listed in the manual, body image distortion is one of the criteria that mm-hmm. is along with it. However, when we get into our fed, and so that is where the criteria is that they do not meet uh-huh. <laughs> the, the body is the body image disorder, yeah. right? And so, and our fed is more about oral sensory mm-hmm. issues, and so someone is not necessarily as focused on what their body looks like or how their body image is with ARFIT. It really is about how it says there's a reactive food intake disorder happening with ARFIT, mm-hmm. which might end up impacting their weight in some way. It's so, mm-hmm. but it's not where the individual is intentionally trying to lose weight mm-hmm. or having any type of distortion about their body image. So, However, what we normally see in our office is usually the anorexia nervosa, the bulimia nervosa, and binge eating disorder. So those are the three main categories that walk in through the door. But we also have clients that come in that are wondering, do I have an eating disorder? Mm -hmm. And sometimes they fall into a category that is not in the DSM. Right. And so, and it's more of what clinicians call disordered eating. And so, and that disordered eating, the big umbrella for that is usually we are asking somebody, what's your food relationship like? Mm -hmm. And so how would you describe it? Is it something that you're constantly aware of? Is it something that you might have obsessive thoughts about? Is it something that you're constantly worried about whenever you go out to eat with other people? Are you always planning about the restaurant? Are you maybe avoiding going to restaurants? So do you hide food? Are you constantly trying to avoid certain food groups? But maybe they don't necessarily meet all the criteria for one of the you know, one of the DSM eating disorders, but they're starting something Mm -hmm. with food that Mm -hmm. feels really uncomfortable to them. And they come in and what we usually do is we'll do an eating disorder assessment to help us as a team begin to decide, you know, have they met the criteria for an eating disorder Mm -hmm. or are they at a phase which they're having a relationship with food that isn't neutral. Heads Up Guidance Services, or HUGS, is a nonprofit organization dedicated to removing all barriers to quality professional counseling services. At HUGS, all motivated individuals, couples, and families can access the support they need and deserve in an outpatient setting. They recruit dedicated, compassionate, and socially conscious professionals who volunteer their time and specialized skill pro bono. HUGS doesn't work with third-party payers, insurance companies, or government dollars. Rather, they operate entirely with the support of people just like you. To help support HUGS, visit www.headsupsavannah.org. I'm so grateful that you are doing early interventions Mm -hmm. like that and that the client is paying enough attention to their relationship Mm -hmm. with food to be proactive and go in and do an assessment with you guys. I think that's wonderful. And I'll ask you this question, but I'll also kind of speak from my own experience is that, you know, because oftentimes the age of onset is so young, Mm -hmm. the eating disorders take different forms um, throughout a lifespan. So say they did start at age nine with a choking incident and ARFID became their primary diagnosis. But then because of the massive weight loss, anorexia and restrictive type eating disorder took hold. And and it's just like, 
in my experience, the um, eating disorders and the way that it shows up just kind of like changes throughout the lifespan. What has been your experience? I would absolutely agree with that, that it can be very fluid, that someone can begin with, you know, one particular relationship with food, which might be restrictive. It may even meet all the criteria for anorexia. And then they might find as they go through adolescence and early adulthood that it might begin to turn into something else where Mm -hmm. they moved out of that restrictive processing of the anorexia and moved straight into binge eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And so, and then from mid twenties on, it's just kind of morphed into binge eating. So, so I always like to tell individuals, you know, just because I've given you a diagnosis doesn't mean it's a bookend on your disorder. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, right? right? And so because it just doesn't limit it because it's a relationship we have with food. It's a relationship. So it's relationships change. They change, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so so we can have one relationship with food for many, many years that might be really restrictive Mm -hmm. and then come out of that. And then we might have the relationship with food where we're overcompensating, we're overeating, we're emotionally eating, and then we might start to meet the criteria of binge eating disorder. So it's very uh, fluid, I think, along that spectrum. And usually I like to look at food-related disorders as a spectrum. And I think, yeah, Mm -hmm. so I knew you would. And (laughs) and that's why it fits to say, hey, there's disordered eating Mm -hmm. at kind of the very beginning part of the spectrum. And that's where early intervention, if I had to circle a word you said, I think that's the part where disordered eating can fit best Mm -hmm. because it is usually individuals that finally may meet the criteria, they can always track you back to in their history where they started to have thoughts about food and it would have not been categorized as a disorder yet in the Mm -hmm. DSM, Mm -hmm. but it would have been categorized as something starts to become obsessive about food or I'm not paying attention to my hunger cue Mm -hmm. or my fullness cue anymore. And usually that's what I pay attention to in my assessment Mm -hmm. is are are people eating relative to their hunger cue? Are they, when they're full, are they stopping and being satisfied with food? And if something's kind of off with that cycle, we might be in the disordered eating pattern already. I love that. Yes. Yes. So paying attention to hunger cue and fullness cue is one of my big questions for this, this side, this early intervention piece. Mm -hmm. And if something's off, we probably need to start, you know, start now. Why wait until somebody has a full blown disorder? And that Mm -hmm. of course is something that I'm sure you talk to parents about too. That might be (laughs) your teens that come in. It's like, oh no, we're at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. to do something that's mm-hmm. corrective for your child. Mm-hmm. And so it's because it's early and it hasn't gone into, yeah, something that becomes its own kind of what I call like creature out there for oh, yeah. <laughs> lack of a better word. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. So a little monster. Yeah. It is it a little is. monster. Yeah. That kind of runs it can like be a, a big monster. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. Very Absolutely. secretive. So in the realm of disordered eating, where does orthexia fall? And what is orthexia? Yeah, so so orthorexia, I think, has become something that maybe a lot of medical professionals probably started to see when athletes came in to, to their centers and they started to realize, like, there's something about this athlete that has gone from 
really optimal health to something that's not as optimal. Mm -hmm. And it's usually because they've started to do something around food. And But orthorexia now covers a lot more than just athletes. And so people who have started down a track of really wanting to have, I call it clean eating, organic eating, always laugh because I'm like, well, if I'm not eating clean, am I eating dirty? <laughs> so I'm like, what is this clean? In their mind, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so what <laughs> Very is this? dirty. Yeah, like what is this clean eating? And so... And they start to really get very hyper-focused mm-hmm. on making sure foods don't have certain things with it. They're only buying foods from certain stores. And what happens is, is that we see that mindset just starts to take over. And before long, they don't have very many foods that they're eating at all. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they're over-exercising usually. Mm-hmm. Or if they, for example, were an athlete, they were at already athletes are kind of at a level of exercise that really requires a lot of fuel. So mm-hmm. if you have an athlete that starts to really look at food in a way that is reflective of this kind of clean eating, um, you're going to see that they're not getting enough fuel. And then different things medically can start to happen. They can have bone loss. They can have bone fractures. They can have like back aches. They can have, um, if it's female, loss of menstruation. And so you can see a lot of different symptoms start to appear Mm -hmm. when you have that level of exercise. So usually orthorexia has become more of a common term, but it's not a DSM term Mm -hmm. yet. I always say yet. I think it will be eventually because it does have this combination of someone who probably wants to be the expert in the room when it comes to food mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot okay. of the time. Yeah. And so and um, a lot of them do pursue yeah, education health, yes. and health and nutrition and diet. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so and they are seen sometimes as the health guru. Mm-hmm. So they appear to look as if they're into a lot of different maybe sports or athletic things and their food is just like I mean uh, has a lot of perfection mm-hmm. you know and I'm saying this in quotes qualities to it and what we do see most often though with orthorexia is that people will begin to have medical complications or physical complications and there will probably be some sort of weight loss that occurs Mm. and so with orthorexia Mm -hmm. so but at this point in time we just don't have it in the dsm but i bet most uh, medical doctors if they go if you go see a medical doctor they call it the athlete triad Mm. So it's what they start to call mm-hmm. it. So it has a lot of street names to it. But overall, again, we're always going back to what's your food relationship. Right. So even if we don't have official diagnosis that belongs, per se, in the DSM, at the core is what's your food relationship? Mm-hmm. Is it what determines your day? Is it what you're waking up to? Is it the most important thing that people identify about you? Right? And that's something about orthorexia. People really enjoy that identification. Mm-hmm. Right? And yeah. so, and, um, and that, of course, is like what we're trying to really break down in an assessment is what's your relationship with food? It's uh, right. how does it make you feel? Um, how do you how do you perceive um, yourself around food? Are you nervous or anxious? I'm yeah. so glad you said that because that's what was coming up for me is, you know, no matter what the you know form takes, if it's disordered eating or an actual diagnosable mm-hmm. eating disorder, it's how it shows up in the person where you start to see the loss mm-hmm. of self. Mm-hmm. And so I'm so mm-hmm. ma- glad that you mentioned the word self because it's like this disease looks the same in everybody. So there is 
you know, a notable loss of self, their personality, who they are, who they want to be, how they show up in the world. And like, they're, they're sweet personalities. It They start to look like everybody else who has this disease. Does that make sense? I, so <laughs> much sense. I Yeah, I just want to grab hold of what you just said there, that part about loss of self, mm-hmm. right? And so, and that is something that ends up being probably the greatest robbery of eating disorders because mm-hmm. they come mm-hmm. in and they steal identity. They yes. steal self. Mm-hmm. And there's no wonder that there's so much anxiety and depression mm-hmm. that go along with mm-hmm. eating disorders that are mm-hmm. comorbid with eating disorders. Because if something's coming in and stealing my identity, who I am and what I am and what I perceive myself to be in, in this world, boy, I'm probably going to be anxious about it. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yeah. yeah. And so without a doubt, one of the things that you want to be able to rebuild and help someone rebuild is identity, self-worth, mm-hmm. self-esteem, all of that is part of identity. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, depending on how early an eating disorder started, you may be rebuilding in an emotional world of a 14-year-old. And so right. identity, things that they never really got to develop because mm-hmm. the eating disorder came in and kind of took that track for them and distracted them for a really long time. So identity building is so important because we're more than our body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're so much more than what our appearance is. And we want to help someone become really, really self-assured that who they are has nothing to do with the way they look. Who they are is intrinsically about that they're a whole person, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so that can be loving and kind and generous. And these are qualities that we want to help people to work on versus appearances. Absolutely. Yeah, which yeah. is so temporary. And I love that you said robbery because that that is what they lose when yeah. the eating disorder begins to progress and take hold and um, remove positive qualities from their mm-hmm. life. All right, I want to tell you about Brain FM. Some days, our focus is stretched thin. Different sources of stimulation regularly wear on our attention. Working from home can obviously exacerbate these issues. At best, curated playlists can be a crapshoot. Whether they'll actually push you to be more productive, who knows? This is why we use Brain FM. These guys have neural phase locking audio technology and fire soundtracks that shift your neurons into focus mode. Visit brainfm.com. That's www.brainfm.com. Use the promo code Direct Impact for great discounts. That's Direct Impact with no spaces. Now, visit the link in our show notes. So I think that's the perfect segue into my next question, which is, you know, co-occurring or comorbid Mm -hmm. disorders. So what are some of the things that you often see? You already mentioned anxiety. And take us a step further. What are some of the co-occurring disorders that you see with the eating disorder? Absolutely. uh, Hands down, probably generalized anxiety Mm -hmm. is probably my top one that I see Mm co-occurring. And this could have, and very well, anxiety could have been one of the first pieces Mm -hmm. of mental health for the individual Mm -hmm. before they even started to have any issues with their food relationship and their generalized anxiety just was not managed so they Mm -hmm. use their eating disorder to help somehow cope with the stress yes right oftentimes i see depression is probably the secondary one and to be honest it is really depressive and so if, if you were to think about if i was starving myself mm-hmm. that becomes very depressive for the body physically 
why wouldn't we have depression emotionally if yeah. we're if we're in that physical state? So neurobiologically, you really yeah. don't have a choice but to go into some depression. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And so, a hundred percent. So, anxiety and depression tend to go hand in hand, almost married most of the time. I find mm-hmm. um, with individuals with eating disorders. And then I'll kind of take a small little step sideways, and that is um, with individuals with bipolar. And mm-hmm. so, sometimes I can see if they are not stable in their mood medication management that their relationship with food becomes very inconsistent mm-hmm. very unstable and it might follow their mood cycle so when they're manic they might be doing a lot of things with food versus when they're depressed it mm-hmm. might look different so you may see a food cycle that might could meet criteria <laughs> Right. Um, a lot of times I see bulimia within that cycle for um, individuals bipolar. And so when they're manic, they may be having a lot of self-induced vomiting or laxative use. And then when they're depressed, you see them kind of kind of pull back and mm-hmm. not have as many symptoms. So again, that goes into that category of mood disorders, mm-hmm. right? So oftentimes, you know, that is probably the third one that I'll see a tendency to be connected with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. I think with binge eating disorder, one thing that I find is that um, in their cycle, and probably anyone who comes to see you as well, when they go to tell you a little bit about their binge eating cycle, mm-hmm. they'll tell you a little bit about that disconnection, that dissociative mm-hmm. piece that mm-hmm. can happen when they just start to overeat. They just lose time. Yes. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. they're not in any form or way in a mindful you know, present state when they're eating. And then when they kind of pop out of it, then they kind of recognize what has happened. And then they go into the shame piece of mm-hmm. their cycle. Mm-hmm. Then they go into the promise piece of I'll never do this again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Restrict, right? And then we're back into binging again. And yeah. so, so I see a lot of that dissociative piece Absolutely. with binge eating disorder. I see that very, very often, mm-hmm. um, the dissociative portion. It's so important for them to understand trauma reenactment, mm-hmm. to understand the dissociative mm-hmm. portions of that, and how, I mean, I've had people go through a, a, a bit of their cycle before they are aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. There's just no awareness or insight until, mm-hmm. boom, there's already been a behavior, mm-hmm. an unwanted behavior. I think mm-hmm. that's so important. So under, I'm going to underline that word, mm-hmm. that trauma reactive mm-hmm. piece that might be coming out that they may have no conscious kind of knowledge about mm-hmm. and that their food relationship is just reflecting yes. a deeper Right. And so trauma reenactment and that dissociative piece, you know, oftentimes is part of trauma, you know, disorders. That's and right. so and sometimes that's why it's so important to come see a therapist mm-hmm. about food relationships, because it might be mirroring something quite deeper mm-hmm. that we do want to have a safe space and you want someone who's trained. Mm-hmm. And so I know you're EMDR trained, someone who's trained to be able to help you with something that might be a trauma. Listen up, Direct Impact Nation. You know how important routine, structure, consistency, and accountability is on the road to recovery and personal discovery. Well, I have developed the perfect companion for you on your journey. My Plan to Recover journal is thoughtfully and specifically designed for the person looking to achieve long-term success in recovery while gaining personal insight, awareness, emotional intelligence, and spiritual integrity. The Plan to Recover journal will help you stay recovery-minded, practice your priorities, and build a healthy relationship with self and others 12 hours at a time. To preview and pre-order your copy today, 
visit www.lightninginabottle.biz backslash journal. That's www.lightninginabottle.biz backslash journal. And don't forget to get a PTR journal for a friend on their journey too. Direct Impact Nation will save 15% when you use the promo code IMPACT. That's promo code I-M-P-A-C-T. With the purchase of your PTR journal, you will become part of an exclusive community dedicated to recovery and self-discovery. Visit www.lightninginabottle.biz and let us take you from want to to willing and from willing to healing. I feel like that's so important. And I also feel like you mentioned the word relationship and a lot of the people that come to me, because I, I, yes, I work with eating disorders, Mm -hmm. but also a lot with uh, relationship, Mm -hmm. attachment, um, sexual Mm -hmm. compulsivity, sex and love addiction. And so when they're talking about relationships is oftentimes when I'm like, hmm, so how's your relationship with food? And boom, it's um, not only that they have uh, disordered eating, but I mean, they have diagnosable eating disorders and how their relationships with people, oftentimes very toxic individuals, mirrors their relationship with food. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. And that, again, is like just having a thorough assessment as we're going to be looking at what's happening with food might be also happening with other parts of our life. So if we're just mm-hmm. restricting on food, I wonder if you're restrictive socially, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, Financially. <laughs> yes. <And> so, <laughs> oh, like, when's the last time you actually went out and did this or that, right? And so uh-huh. we find out it's been six months and they do, and it's not really important to them to do that. And they don't even realize they've become very restrictive in other areas of their life as well. That's always so important to be able to look at how food might be mirroring other other you know parts of somebody's mm-hmm. life and so and bring that up to their conscious level mm-hmm. it's not just about the food and I say that often it's, it's about the food and it's not about the food right right, right. absolutely a, yeah and that's why you come to therapy right because mm-hmm. <laughs> so, we want to be able to kind of bring that up and say okay there are certain things that we probably need to do differently with your relationship with food but there's also something probably larger over here and I do believe that intuitively they know it's not about the food because if it was about the food, the behavior would have stopped a long time ago. Right. And that pull and that anxiety and all of that would have subsided if it was just about food. Oh, so true. <laughs> so true, right? And right. so, oh, absolutely. And so hands down. And that might kind of also move us into like intuitive, you Eating. know, yeah. yeah, models of care. And, you know, for some of our clients, when they're appropriate, we like to, you know, start to involve them into intuitive eating. And right. so intuitive eating is... It's basically helping someone restore their food relationship to the normal cycle of their body. And Mm -hmm. so in that normal cycle is paying attention to hunger cues Mm -hmm. and fullness cues. And we're so good at that when we're little, right? And like if you go into a kindergarten class, those kids have it down, right? And so (laughs) they can play and then they'll be like, oh, I'm hungry. Let me go get a snack, right? And then they eat a little bit of snack and then they go back and play because that was enough for me to have right then. Listening to the body is such a childlike skill, but sometimes we can really have something that can trauma-wise take Mm -hmm. us off that course. So we can have things culturally that might take us off the course Mm -hmm. experiences. So helping someone get back into an intuitive model is really kind of getting back into what I call like Mm -hmm. that child, embracing that childlike toddler model of when I'm hungry, that's when I eat. Mm -hmm. When I'm full, that's when I'm satisfied. And that's when I stop and learning to find those signals again. 
Because eating disorders can really come in and just completely cut someone off from those um, intuitive signals. Mm -hmm. So it takes time. So it's not like I would just assume I tell you this and you can, you know, have Mm -hmm. that happen in a day. It takes time to listen to hunger cues and it takes time to listen to fullness cues. And it takes time to be able to say, okay, we're full. So now what do I do if I'm full? Well, I might be anxious now. Mm -hmm. And now I really have to deal with the emotion. Mm -hmm. So this is why going to therapy is so important because I might have known I was full all this time but kept eating, right, Right. to help cope with some of the anxiety. And so now I'm going to have to work on this piece and I see my therapist and we talk about here's this emotion, anxiety. How can we really help you? Just because it's probably a distressful Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, so distress tolerance skills come in here. Mm-hmm. And so to help you cope with this. So we're all about being additive too, right? And so yes. I tell people we're adding, right? We're not we're not just trying to get you to subtract something from your life, like subtract a behavior that's ineffective. We want to add effective behaviors. And so this is an additive model when you think about intuitive eating, it's mm-hmm. additive. Let's add some things right, mm-hmm. to help. Now that you know you're full, let's empower you. Right. To know that being satisfied physically is safe. Mm. And now we have the skills to manage the emotions that we might have distracted from by overeating. Wonderful. Yeah. So intuitive eating is something that is usually a little bit later on for some of our clients, mm-hmm. especially if they have to go through a phase called weight restoration. So if that is a client of ours that needs to weight restore, Sometimes we're actually asking them to eat past what they might feel as full mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they they have not been accustomed to eating a normal, you know, yes. uh, meal plan for quite some time. So intuitive eating is usually a little bit later on if somebody is attempting to weight restore. Some clients, though, might come in and they might be appropriate um, wherever they are in their uh, eating recovery mm-hmm. to start it from day one. And so, mm-hmm. and again, that's kind of where an assessment would kind of play out where yeah. to begin with somebody. I love that. And I also love intuitive intuitive eating practices for individuals who are diagnosed with ADHD because their hunger cues are off. And so you go back to that little, those kids in the kindergarten classroom, if that ADHD child is interested in what they're doing, uh, that hunger cue might might be noticed. It might not be noticed, but it will definitely be ignored. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is so true. I'm so glad you said that. Yes, absolutely. With the ADHD. Yes. Yes, yes. absolutely. And so especially if they're an OCD type of mm-hmm. ADHD. So, I mean, there are lots of things that I believe like intuitive eating is just so helpful for early on, early intervention. And then also when they come to you with some disordered eating, Mm -hmm. a strange relationship to their food, but it's not a full-blown eating disorder. It maybe won't become one, right? but they still want to have that healthy engagement with food. Yeah. And I think that's really important because you want to pull in all aspects of somebody's mental health. And there are going to be other mental health pieces that could affect someone's relationship with food, like ADHD. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you know if you don't pull that in and again when you're creating a treatment plan for someone you want to pull it all in and if ADHD might be part of their story then we got to know probably early on they might have been missing cues because they were just so busy doing (laughs) they were hyper focused on something they loved yeah Yeah. (laughs) and so being hungry didn't catch their attention right it became the attention deficit place and that's you know again you know part of a complete assessment with someone without a doubt and so yeah So segue is 
what do people who are experiencing um, a negative or unhealthy relationship to food, maybe they're experiencing disordered eating or eating disorders, what are some things that they might want to disengage with? Some behaviors, some materials, some items. Mm-hmm. What have you, what, you know, to our listeners, what are some just like early intervention things, some things that they might have in their life that they might want to disengage with? Mm-hmm. Social media comes with great pros and cons to mm-hmm. it, right? And mm-hmm. so it helps us to connect to a big world and create a bigger community than our next door neighbor. But it also can create a bigger community <laughs> and so that have influences right. mm. that are not so great and that don't care about us like the next door neighbor would care about us, right? And That's see right. us. Mm-hmm. So we have to be really mindful about there's a lot of social media out there that can have inherently wrong messages for us. Mm-hmm. And because our culture sometimes puts different body shapes on a pedestal, um, sometimes mm. knowingly the culture does that. Sometimes in more hidden ways the culture will do that. And becoming more aware of like what you visually are putting in front of your eyes. And that's something that I always want my clients who might be really motivated by social media. Mm-hmm. And so to look at their social media, Instagram, Twitter, you know, who are you following, right? And what kind of messages are they sending you? Mm-hmm. Um, and really kind of dig into that because they might be just, you know, someone who can contour their face brilliantly, right? But they're also giving messages of, hey, I only drink water with lemon in it every day, mm-hmm. right? So there's going to be these conflicting messages to what we want and their eating recovery with what social influencer might have in their life. Right. So I'm oftentimes um, encouraging clients to look at who they follow Mm -hmm. and maybe take a break maybe take a break from those Instagram individuals that they're following. And I also recommend Instagram followers who I think are positive. Mm, Some body positive. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. And dietitians who are going to be all about intuitive eating or dietitians who are about all foods fit model. And so Mm -hmm. I encourage individuals to, hey, here's some list of people that might be important for you to maybe hear something different, see something different, maybe try following them. Sometimes though, people have to just come off social media altogether. Yeah. And that might be the answer for a little while is to just Or a full-blown detox. Yeah. You know, let's, you let's give it one month, three months, yeah. and then see, you know, what it was bringing to your life, yeah. positive and negative, yeah. and we can reintegrate, yeah. um, uh, maybe following some different things. I've also found that, uh, like, for my binge eating disorder clients, mm-hmm. these DoorDash and you know these food ordering to your house um, apps are just wreaking havoc yes. on their lives. And so that's another thing perhaps people can go ahead and delete yes. um, certain apps. It's like an alcoholic having Grizzly app and they're just ordering it to their house all the time and mm-hmm. saying, yeah, but I don't have any consequences because I'm not drinking and driving anymore, you know? Um, so... <laughs> The rationale, right? Right. So, um, yeah, there's certain things that we definitely want to disengage with. Well, Mika, Mm -hmm. I just want to thank you so much for coming on and being with us today. So if our listeners want to engage with you, where can Mm -hmm. they find you? Um, I have a group private practice in downtown Savannah called Solstice Point Counseling. You can Google us and our website is www.solsticepointcounseling.com as well as our phone number 
you can call our center and our admin will be happy to help you get started. And the phone number's on the website, but it's also 912-433-7829 for listeners who would like to give us a call. Wonderful. And uh, we'll be happy to discuss and set up an appointment. And last question is like, do you have a call to action for our listeners? Anything that you would just say, hey, this week you might want to X, Y, and Z when it comes to food. This week, as you think about your relationship with food, I'm going to ask you just to think about, do you choose foods because they're a preference? They're something that you like. Does it taste good to you? Yes. So that's what I'm going to leave with you today. Are you choosing food based on your preferences? What the, what foods taste good to you? Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. So just be mindful this week of what you are consuming and and, and why and what feelings yeah. that brings up and is it delicious? Yeah, is, is that, it delicious, right? Does it, does it make it your taste, taste buds? Good? <laughs> does it make your taste buds <laughs> dance? Yes, <laughs> make your taste buds dance. I love oh my it. God. Yes. Okay, well, Mika, this has been such a wonderful. We're going to dance right on out of here. <laughs> That's right. This has been such a great conversation. And guys, um, I just appreciate you being with us. And again, if you have anybody that could benefit from this podcast, please leave a review and share it with somebody you love and know will benefit from it. Mika, thanks so much for being with us. Oh my gosh, no. Thank you. I have enjoyed the time. I want to come back (laughs) anytime. (laughs) Wonderful. We'll have you back for sure. All right, guys. Bye for now. Bye. Does anyone else feel like they just earned an extra brain wrinkle? Do you feel like that went by way too fast and just cannot wait till the next episode? Then leave a review and share this episode with a friend, a loved one, a coworker, or whomever because your valued feedback makes a direct impact. Thank you for dropping in. Snaps to you because you have made a direct impact by listening to this podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media and stay tuned every week for a new episode of Direct Impact with Andrea Epstein.